Hello, and welcome to the CogniCast, the podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. This week, we've reached an important milestone. This is episode 200. Well, 200 octal. In decimal, it's only 128, but that's still kind of cool. This week, host Stuart Sierra talks to my friend and fellow Cognitech, Naoko Higashide. But before we get started, we do have a few announcements. Tickets are on sale for Euroclosure 2017, which is happening on July 20th and 21st in Berlin. We have a great speaker lineup with Nada Amin keynoting. Head on over to euroclosure.org for more information. Also, tickets are now on sale for Closure Conj 2017, which is going to be a celebration of the 10th anniversary of the Closure programming language. Go on over to 2017.closure-conj.org to be part of the festivities. Finally, the Berlin Closure Group is meeting Wednesday, July 12th at 7 p.m. Head on over to meetup.com closure-berlin for more information. If you have a closure-related event you'd like us to mention, please drop us a line at podcast at cognitech.com. Well, that's about it. So on the Stuart Sierra and Noko and episode 128 of the Cognicast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cognicast. Today is Friday, June 23rd, 2017. I'm Stuart Sierra, and our guest today is my fellow Cognitect, Naoko Higashide. Welcome to the show, Naoko. Thank you. It's good to have you here. We've worked together uh, quite a lot over the last few years, Uh, so it's uh, good to talk to you. And uh, we'll get into your role here at Cognitect in just a moment. But as you know, we have a standard question that we ask all of our guests, and that is to describe an experience of art that you found meaningful or interesting. Okay. So, yeah, so I thought about it last night when you were prepping me about that. And just in general, um, I, I... I love all kinds of arts, but usually nine out of 10 times, I'm more drawn to modern arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for example, like Frank Lloyd Wright, mm-hmm. um, Charles and Ray Eames, oh, yeah. Henry Matisse, like that's the kind of vibe I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but one in particular, because since, since the question was about uh, like an experience, mm-hmm. um, I thought of this, which is it's a local museum here. Um, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and about 10 minutes from me, um, there's a North Carolina Museum of Art, NCMA. Yes. Um, it's, it's a really nice museum, um, and the grounds are just awesome. I love going there to walk. It's one of my dog's favorite places to walk. <laughs> cool. Um, but within their permanent collection, um, there's this one painting that's really big, like it takes a whole wall. Okay. on the modern art side of the permanent collection. And every time I go there and I walk by, I, I just have to stop at, like f- for a good amount of time to like stare at it. Yeah. Um, so so it's uh, the title is Six Women. 
Okay. And it's uh, it's a painting by an artist named Alex Katz. Okay. And it's an oil on canvas, and it's just it's it's a picture or a painting of these six women, and it looks like they're in some kind of like after work social gathering kind uh-huh. of thing. Um, and that's that's all it is. Okay. And but when you look at everybody's facial expressions, you can tell what they're thinking. Oh yeah. And, and so this painting is back from 1975, but it's totally applies today in 2017. That's like, cool. You know, and so when I walk by, I just kind of go, "Ooh, that lady's thinking this. That lady's thinking mean <laughs> thoughts. That lady's happy. You, you know, that kind of yeah, thing." Yeah, yeah. You can make um, up stories each time you yeah, see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. In my head, there's a story going on, and so um, I think that you know, art like that is worth mentioning. So if anybody's around, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina. Check it out. Cool. Well, we'll definitely link to the museum in the show notes. And uh, if we can find it, we'll uh, link to a, uh, a an image of that, that painting. It sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, well, great. That was uh, a good introduction and sort of leads us into, I think, your role at Cognitect, uh, managing stories and people and uh, keeping track of what people are thinking. Uh, I believe you are uh, official. Your official title is project coach. Is that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes. Uh, what? Tell us. Uh, what? What does that mean? Uh, basically, what? What is your role? So, um, Stuart, you've heard me say this probably multiple times <laughs> in different meetings um, when we're starting up a project with a new client, um, but. I like the terminology coach uh-huh. because it's it's not super obvious. It's not like closure developer. Like that right. really is pretty obvious what you do. Um, and I, I like the fact that it's not too obvious because every project has different needs. Mm-hmm. Every client has different needs. Every team has different needs. Like not one not two projects are the same, right? right? Every every one of them have different needs and personalities and all that kind of stuff. So my role gets adjusted based on the needs and the contract that we might have or the team or the talent, you know, the, the needs of the client. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so some... Some projects might be, you know, my involvement might be a lot smaller. Some of them are a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. And it's within the realm of, of really coaching the project. So that's why it's project coach. And ah, not to confuse that as agile coach. Yes. Um, because a lot of people here coach in our software um, development industry and coach. A lot of people might think agile coach. Right. And I do help with agile process, but that's not what I do. I'm not the agile coach or trainer or anything like that. I'm really coaching the project and the team and the client. Okay. Um, and sometimes that might look like um, a little bit of project management. Sometimes it might be account management. Sometimes or a lot of times it's relationship management yeah. and team management, staffing management. So basically anything that I can help the project be successful um, that's outside of actual programming. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of my role. Cool. Yeah, and there is always uh, a lot of that. Um, and it, it's interesting you mentioned that you are not uh, specifically an Agile coach, although you do do some process and uh, Agile uh, coaching as, as part of your role. Uh, because a question 
uh, I feel like we get a lot with uh, new projects or new clients is, well, what's your methodology? Which of the uh, many uh, tribes of software <laughs> development practitioners uh, are you in? Um, and, uh, well, I'm sure you have uh, a more thought out answer for that than I do. So, yeah, we get that question a lot. And uh, my go-to answer is something that's been around with with Cognitech and even, you know, before Cognitech, when we were relevant, mm -hmm. we used to say the same thing is, you know, we're agile, but we're not specifically like Scrum or Extreme or anything like that. We can be if that's yeah. what the, the project calls for. Um, but we're typically agile with a small letter A instead of a the capital A, like right. that's how we try to describe it. Um, or another way to put it for me, if I think it's more, you know, agile practiced by experienced people, experienced and agile people. Uh -huh. um, and so it's more of a common sense agile is yeah. how I put it. It's not following the book, you right. know, every page of the book that's written. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I have been with the uh, with clients who are brand new to Agile. Mm -hmm. They went to tra training, um, you know, like a training camp kind of thing for Agile, came back and literally practiced exactly what they learned in Agile training, mm -hmm. which is important, I think, um, in the very yeah. beginning. That's how you learn how Agile works, and also that's how you learn what works for you or what works for your team and where you can start tweaking. Right. And so I feel like Cognitech, we start, our, our default start is it's already tweaked. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, we're very flexible. Just as much as I mentioned earlier, you know, the co coach term, it, yeah. I have to flex to the project. Mm -hmm. um, we also flex our process to the project right. needs. But we're always, you know, focused on the fundamental agile practices. Right. Yeah. I, and that's what I've generally heard as well and what I tell people. I like, I've always liked the agile with a small a. That seems to uh, go over well and people, people get what we're saying when we yeah. say that. Um, sort of uh, sticking to the, the actual principles of what became big A agile uh, rather than any specific expression of those principles or, or formal set of practices. Right. Well, cool. Um, and you uh, have written a bit recently for the uh, Cognitech blog about uh, our process, in particular, how we start uh, new projects. Uh, so uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So um, the title of that specific article is called How We Work, Iteration Zero. Um, this particular article and the part that I'm going to talk about today is really focusing more on day one of iteration zero. Okay. Um, commonly called like a project kickoff right, meeting. Right. Um, and we call it iteration zero because, um, you know, it, it's really prior to a real development iteration, which would be iteration one or sprint one. Mm -hmm. So you can consider this as like the sprint zero, iteration zero. Yeah. Um, so, and then in short, we call it I zero. Okay. So you'll probably hear me say I zero a lot because that's the habit. We just call it I zero all the time. Right. Um, but, you know, so, so, you know, how do we start off I zero? So day one, 
we typically, not always, um, but typically we visit our clients office. Right. Um, we always welcome clients to come to us too. It just all depends on the situation. Um, and then we meet the people in person. Okay. Um, but before I get in there to that point, I do want to emphasize even to get to the point of that day one of iteration zero or like the project kickoff day, there's plenty of work that we have to do to prepare for that specific day. And I think that a lot of times when we're talking about project management or any project, you know, preparation, people start with that project kickoff day and not give enough attention to how much work should go into preparation to that day. So it's kind right, of like T right. minus five, T minus 10, like <laughs> however many days that you need. Um, and and so we try to focus on that. And one of the really important things, you know, other than like scheduling, which can get hard Mm -hmm. to get everybody in one room um you know one of the the really important things um are or is staffing right and you know we really try to focus on how we staff as an art it's really not a science Mm -hmm. um that's my belief and i think a lot of people at cognitech would agree and you're talking Um, here about staffing uh uh, consultants at Cognitect onto a client project, right? Correct, correct, okay. yes. Um, and, you know, so we learn during our preparation, we learn a lot about the client's needs and what are they looking for, all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of conversations that go that happens even, you know, during the sales period. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually during the transition period where we're really preparing for that day one of iteration zero. Um, but along with that, we really have to think about who, like what kind of talent would really work well with a specific project or specific right. client. Um, but that's an obvious point. Like you have to think about skill sets and talent. Sure. But another thing that comes with the art part of it is, is you know, we think about the personalities mm-hmm. um, between client and also our own staff yeah. or within the staff, like, you know, like if it's a four people team, you know, what kind of, I don't know, what kind of personalities would j- jive really well, you yeah. know, for this specific client. All those things I think really matter. Like I, I, I don't, I'm not a believer on like the typical resource management tool kind of thing where like, oh, what, what skill set do I need? Who's available? Boom, here's yeah. your team. Yeah. Like that, that is just, I'm not a believer of that. Um, People are I've not. I've been in that before yeah. too. And so through experience, I can tell you why I emphasize, you know, art versus science of staffing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how, you know, how we approach it is I think the staffing piece prior to that iteration zero is really important. Um, another thing is really identifying who should be at the project kickoff um, yeah. or the iteration zero day one, same same day, um, and, you know, making sure that the stakeholders are there. And I thought um, this was interesting uh, in the article because you talked about this for quite a while about how important it is to get not just the people who are working on the project, but the people who are uh, the stakeholders, the ones who will be uh, using the output of the project or whatever uh, that is, uh, they should be involved as well. Right. And, and that's just so important. And I've been with, you know, 
several different companies and many different projects and I've attended different project kickoffs and and I have to say there have been a lot of kickoffs where the focus is solely on the the staff yeah. of the project that's been selected and they're told to show up they don't know what the project's about they just show up and say mm-hmm. hey you know somebody you know project manager or somebody says we're starting this project this is what we're doing yay you know <laughs> that kind of thing yeah and and you know the involvement of stakeholders is just not enough and when i say stakeholders it starts with the project sponsor so by project sponsor i mean the person that's signing the contract or the person yeah. that holds the budget yeah. the person yeah. that has the ability to call the project offer on right right um and you know that person certainly needs to be there but the other people who are going to be impacted by whatever application that that we might be building and the end, end users and the customers of those end users and you know so there's you know really a lot of preparation and this goes back to like i mentioned earlier scheduling is hard yeah <laughs> and that's why it's hard to figure out that scheduling cuz we need those people to be in there it's not like on on that day 1 it can't be like, oh, I'll catch up with you later situation. Right, right. Like we need a commitment from everybody. And another point that I, I think I made in the article is, you know, attending attending the meeting is different from participating. Yes, I remember that. And, and you know, I think we all can like re- probably remember a time where you go to a meeting and, you know, I don't mean to call it out, but some executives will just be attending and right. they're too busy looking at their phone um, instead of really participating in the meeting. Um, First of all, that's just not helpful. Second of all, I think it's very rude. So we need to cut that out. Yeah. Um, If you're there, you should be there. If not, what's the point? What's the point? And also just sets it's the wrong message you're sending the people who are about to put so many hours in the project. And, you know, so... So, you know, that's the thing that I really also prepare, um, you know, the, the participants to be participants mm-hmm. and make sure that they're fully involved. And, you know, I understand that sometimes like certain time during the meeting, they might not be available, but you know, we'll work with that. Right. Like, we'll sure. figure out a way to tweak the agenda so that that, you know, key personnel won't be missing, missing out on things. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I've talked enough probably about the preparation part. Um, and then iteration zero day one, the yep. kickoff day comes and we, you, we typically visit the client's office and, you know, get set up audio, video, whatever, yep. which usually takes some time. Yes. Um, and then, you know, we do introductions and hopefully the ideal situation is that at that introduction, everybody is truly there. And we try to focus on each person's role of the project rather than each person's title. Right, sure. It's not really that important to a project that somebody's a VP. Right. You know, I want to know what you're going to be doing for the project or how you're going to be impacted by the project. Um, And so that we go around the room and, you know, start talking um, and getting to know each other, all that. But then after that, the day one, especially the first half mm-hmm. of day one is focused on what we call the project framework. Okay. Um, and it, should I just keep talking about uh, it? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I guess uh, one 
uh, thought that uh, occurred to me is that in identifying roles and people, I feel like uh, from the point of view of someone who's about to start working on a new project, my question in that part of the the uh, I zero is uh, it, it sort of boils down to uh, whose approval do I need for what level of decision? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. that totally makes sense. And hopefully, when when then when the project framework exercise go very smoothly, yeah, those answers will start to become clear. Right. Um, and another thing is the reason we like to do the project framework exercises um, is because we want people to, again, going back to the participation. Yeah. And when I say participation, everybody has equal participation. Yeah. That's the key. So you can be somebody, you know, brand new to, to, to the real world and brand new to the <laughs> company. And, and, but you should be able to participate in an exercise, and that's why it's an exercise. Right, right. You know, as much as as your project sponsor. Yeah. We don't want to create an environment where the project sponsor or somebody like that is sort of, you know, giving you orders, like, right, and telling you how to do it. Um, project framework is really focused on everybody participating and as a team, agreeing on specific goals, etc. Yeah. Well, so uh, let's go ahead and, and dive into that a bit more. Um, the project framework, it's a, a, a series of exercises, right? To, and to come up with a, a written uh, product at the end. Do I have that right? Right. So we have, we focus on three exercises. Mm -hmm. um, and all, the, all three of these exercises, um, I learned initially... Um, by meeting um, a gentleman by the name of Doug DiCarlo. Mm -hmm. um, he is, uh, he's, he still continues to teach um, a lot of classes, um, I think, around the globe, really. Mm -hmm. um, and he was the author of Extreme Project Management. Right. Um, and, and I took his class many years ago. Okay. And that's how I was introduced to these um, exercises. And then over the many years I've used it, I kind of tweaked it to what, I like to do and mm -hmm. also then eventually it's gotten it, it was they, they've been you know tweaked to um cognitech style right you know and that book so, I think uh extreme project management that work came out of the extreme programming uh ideas is that right it was the corresponding uh project management side of uh what became known as extreme programming Right. Yeah. So it's 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 been around. The book's been around quite a many, you know, quite a few years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's basically you know during the early days of Agile Extreme, all that. You know, Doug, you know, recognized the need to to also think about it from the project management perspective because you right. can't do you know development Agile but project management traditional. Like that's yes. just not going to work. <laughs> So, yeah, so the first exercise, first of the three, uh -huh. um, is called Who is Doing What for Whom? Yes, who will who, do what who for Who will whom? do what for whom, right. yeah. And so it's, it's filling in blank exercise. So uh -huh. who will do what for whom? 
Yeah. And I basically like I look libs. at the team. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you look at the team and say, fill in the blanks. Yeah. You know, like try. Let's try to figure it out. And it really seems simple. Um, but it's not. Yeah, like, I, that's, I was gonna that's say the good part. Having been through a few of these now, it sounds like a fairly trivial question, but having gone through a few uh, versions of this on different projects, it's surprisingly hard. And uh, people genuinely have to work to come up with a, a succinct statement that everyone agrees actually represents what they're trying to do. Right, yeah, everybody has a different idea and and this is true even if you say we do this exercise in the middle of a project. Oh, say okay. the, the say you have a project where it didn't have a proper kickoff and you didn't have all these things set. Yeah. For whatever reason and say oh no, we need to like pivot and you know just like redefine the project or something. At that moment if you do this exercise, you'd be very surprised. Where like you've been working on this project for five months, team, and everybody has a different view. Yeah, yeah. That that's pretty common. Um, and you know, another another thing to keep in mind is just imagine like if filling out one sentence is hard. <laughs> imagine you know how much harder the rest is. The yeah. details are, but that's why projects take a long time. Yeah. But if we don't get that first sentence right, you're you're doomed <laughs> right so, so yeah but it is so, good to know that you don't necessarily have to start uh knowing this it's it's not a you know you missed your window of opportunity sort of situation it's possible to come back uh and even change your mind to do this exercise again a few months into a project and realize oh things have changed now we have to shift our goals right yeah and and you could like goals change and then you can go back and tweak it. You know, that happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fundamentally it's just like it, and it doesn't, those blanks who and do what and whom they don't have to be filled in order. Sure. You know, you right. want to start with the ones that are easier. Yeah. Um, typically who and do, right. Who will do, are easier, not always, but typically. Yeah, so it this might team be like, of people will develop and design right. something. Right, that's yeah. a very common, that's a really common um, words that, that come out of that first two things. So, mm -hmm. you know, it could be like, you know, the ABC team will design and build, and then where it gets difficult is what. Yes. And, Believe it or not, the whom is often very hard to figure out. Yeah. And and one of the interesting things is, you know, during that exercise, you see, like, project sponsors and key stakeholders struggle to figure that out yeah. in front of the brand new team that's been assigned to this project. Right. And, and that levels the field, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's good. It becomes a really good conversation about, like, well, are we doing it for our external customer? If so, who? Or are we doing it for the internal customers? Are we doing it for the accountants? Are we doing yeah. the operation team? Or, you know, like, it, are we doing it for us? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's a lot of good conversations that come out from just trying to fill these blanks out. And I feel like a and, lot of the, at least a lot of the projects I've been on uh, that we've worked on together uh, have been 
internal services within a larger organization. So maybe there is some value to the customer at some point, but it's so far removed from what we're doing that, you know, we're never going to meet the customer or interact with them. We're, our customer is some other team uh, in the business. And, uh, and that's, that's good to figure out. Yeah. And that happens a lot too, where, you know, a lot of people initially say, well, our customers like paying customers, and then they're right. like, well, are we really doing it for them or are we doing it for this team so therefore they can serve the customers better? Like, right, you right. know, these are it, – it's really – the exercise is not just to do the exercise, but it is to facilitate conversation. Sure, sure. So the the conversations that come out of it usually is more important than the outcome that you right, get yeah. from the exercise. So, so yeah, that's the, the first thing that we try to do. Okay. And and it can take, you know, sometimes as little as 20 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour yep. trying to figure yep. this out. Um, but it's worth it. I have not had a client or any team say that was a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. And and I do know that some people come in feeling skeptical, sure. right? Like, yeah. oh, silly exercise. And then they <laughs> walk out and go, whoa, that was hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I encourage everybody to do that, and it's something we always try to do yeah. day one. Um, so I'll move on to so, yeah, step two. Second, yeah, so after we figure out who will do what for whom, so for example, um, I use this example in the article, so I'll just mm -hmm. say, so this project with, you know, the Genesis application team mm -hmm. will design and build a new sales lead management software application with existing clients migrated mm -hmm. for the product sales team at the orange company. Yep. Like that's pretty specific. Now yeah. you kind of get an idea. So as a team, we agreed to that statement saying, yes, that's what we're trying to do. Only after that, we're ready to move on to exercise two, which is this time it's an exercise where you want to complete a sentence. Okay. And the sentence you're completing completing is the project will be complete when, when dot, dot, blank. Dot. Yep. And and then I, you know, guide people to make sure they don't focus on like features and tasks and requirements because if you do that, mm -hmm. then it'll be a requirements list. Right. Tasks and you'll be there all day. Yeah. It will. Yeah. It'll just take forever. Um, the whole point of this is bullet points, high level bullet points. So you want to end up, you know, with two to at the most five, five is a lot actually, mm -hmm. um, bullet points. Um, so as they say, the project will be complete when, and I'll give you an example again mm -hmm. from the article is one could be the project will be complete when each account executive can log into that application and review the latest invoice status for their clients. Mm-hmm. So you get an idea that it's very high level. Yeah. To even make that happen, there's a whole long list of requirements and tasks sure. and all kinds of stuff that has to happen. But the whole point is we want to be able to put a check mark next to the bullet points that we define for the yeah. project. And only when they're checked off, you're done. Right. It's interesting. That is a very high level description that example you just gave and there are lots of uh, features and lots of development work that would go into making that happen but it does sound 
on the surface kind of similar to the the typical agile story definition. You have who is doing the thing, what are they going to do, and and why are they going to do it almost. Right. Yeah. And it, it's straightforward. Um, when you just hear that sentence, you know, anybody would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then when you get into the house, that's when the list becomes long, right? right. This is how we're going to do it. And the whole point of having these bullet points is like if you're on, especially if you're on a long-term project, mm-hmm. if you don't have these high-level statements, it can you can get lost right. sometimes. Yeah. And to go back and look at the completion criteria i guess the project will be complete went dot 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 yeah yeah and see the simplified version of what you're trying to accomplish yeah it really helps you get back on track like it's easy to get in the weeds and go off tangent and do something else and then just kind of back up and say wait we're just trying to do this right yeah we don't necessarily have to do 10 other things to complete you know the goal so it's also nice so, to get that sort of separated from any details of features or implementation because that can quickly turn into, oh, well, we have to do this feature because we wrote down a story that says we have to do this feature. Um, right. right, right. <laughs> unless you can tie it back to one of those goals, well, maybe you don't need to do it. Yeah, and also another thing that I've seen over the years um, is – you know, how many times have you been in a situation where a team of developers are given tasks mm-hmm. and they don't really know why they're doing it? Oh, yeah. Like business value wise. Yeah. But they're just doing it because they're asked to do. Yeah. And that's great. But the if the motivation isn't understood, yeah. if the business value is not understood, it's hard to feel passionate about it. Um, and so often hard to know reason. even what to do if you don't know if you just have a, a brief statement of a requirement without the motivation for it, it can be quite difficult to figure out the details of how that thing's actually going to work. Right. Yeah. And also it's hard for developers to even correct the requirements. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like not all requirements are perfect and well, far from it, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I would um, venture to say most requirements <laughs> are far from perfect, at least on the first go round. Right. So if you don't know the the whys and what you're trying to accomplish, it's, it's it would be very hard for the developer assigned to that task to say, hey, I think this is wrong. Yeah. You know, we should do it another way, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, so the project will complete when, you know, this is a little bit easier typically than mm-hmm. who will do what from whom to complete. But the struggle typically is keeping it in, in, to a short list, yeah. like very high level. It, it's so easy for people to say, well, project will complete when we have, you know, file open, file save feature. Like, right, like right. no, 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 we're not talking about that. You know, like back up, like what are you trying to do? Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's the our second exercise that we do. I would and, say, w- would it be accurate to say that the these completion uh, criteria are often expressed in terms of the whom in the first uh, exercise, the who will do what for whom? Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, because you're doing it for that person. Right. So if that person can't put a check mark next to it, then it did not, the project did not meet 
the whom that yeah. person's um, goals. So, so yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, think, it just occurred to me and, as we were talking about it, but cool. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it, like I'm, I have another example might not be exactly the whom thing mm-hmm. is um, like the project will be complete when there are no known severity one and severity two defects. Oh, right. Yeah. You can talk about, uh, I guess what get labeled as non-functional requirements, although I've never liked that term. <laughs> All right, and you know it's it's a goal to have a specific quality level yeah. for the company, and the client cares but may not care about you know the details. Yeah. So s- some or of may the, not be able to to observe those things directly, uh, right. even if they understand the benefit. Right. So yeah, I mean, it, honestly, it can be all kinds of different topics, but again, keeping it to a manageable small bullet point list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I think that's really important. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So that's one and two. On to step three. So step three, this can get tricky. Yeah. So we talk about... It looks the easiest because it's multiple choice, but... Right, right, right. This one's multiple choice, but it's also hard. Um, So it's what we call the wing conditions. Uh, we use three different wing conditions to talk about. Um, okay. And it's a multiple choice question asking which of these six conditions, uh, which of yeah the six conditions most important? Mm-hmm. So number one, number two, number three. Yeah. And the conditions are schedule, scope, quality, budget, customer satisfaction, and the last bit is teamwork and learning. Okay. And it sounds easy. Yeah. And some people sometimes jump to saying, oh, schedule is the most important. Yeah. There's always that person. Yes. <laughs> right? Usually in management. And, and then there's always the person that says, no, quality is the most important. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, this facilitates all kinds of good conversations yeah. saying like, well, if if somebody says, say the executive says schedule is number one, then yeah. I will challenge the executive to say, why? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Why is schedule number one? Or if somebody says budget is the most important, well, what, what is that? So, so what the one step further that we go beyond the multiple choice question is coming to a consensus of what each condition means for the right, team. Yeah. So, so sometimes somebody might say schedule and, and they think, Oh, okay, well we're supposed to be done in phase one in three months. So that person might be thinking three months or another person's schedule means, no, I'm thinking about a year because I'm looking at phase three completion or, you know, things like that. So we can't assume that people know what schedule means. Sometimes schedule means, you know, May 25th, Boom. Right. Like, that's it. Like, there's a conference. We have to be done by then, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and there are those external pressures that come in to a lot of projects. You know, there's some other factor uh, that you have to, to meet or you have to line up with in time. Right. And that's the good time to talk about those things and share it with the team. Like, it's not an arbitrary date. There's a reason why there's a, you know, milestone date associated with something. And let's talk about why, you know, that's important. Yeah. Um, 
you know, or every single one of them mean all kinds of things. But for example, quality, when somebody says quality should be number one, then I will turn around and ask, well, what does quality mean to you? Right. And, and that one well, definitely has a lot of variation. Oh, yeah. Like a lot. Some somebody might say no defects, mm -hmm. you know, so as in code quality. Yeah. You know, another person could say, no, I, I want the quality of, of the experience mm -hmm. or it could be the UI, the, yep. you know, end user friendliness, the quality there. Like there's so many different definitions. Maintainability, uh, performance, uh, a lot of technical things can fall under there as well. Right. So we need to talk with the team as a team and agree on what quality means. Mm -hmm. And that gets tricky. Or like customer satisfaction, right? Right. That's like becomes the conversation first of who is customer. Right. You know, customer satisfaction as in like, for example, Cognitech's customer. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or is it our, uh, is it the customer's customer? Or is it right. the customer's customer's? Like, <laughs> there, <laughs> there's so many levels yeah, um, yeah. that we can talk about. So then we have to talk about, well, let's, you know, define what customer satisfaction means. Right. Um, and often I get asked, well, what does teamwork and learning? What does yeah. that mean? And I don't want to define it for everybody because it should be a definition that the team comes up with. Yeah. But typically teamwork, teamwork is kind of, you know, one definition is a very obvious one. Like we have good teamwork. Right. You know, team is happy. Yes. Happy team. People don't quit in disgust. <laughs> right, right. Like that kind of teamwork is really important. Or the teamwork could be, you know, our client is building a new development team. Mm -hmm. And they have to hire people. They have to have teamwork. They have to build a good culture. Yep. You know, all those things are hard things to do. And that we need to really be aware of all those things during the project. Like mm -hmm. that could be the definition. Yeah. Or the learning part is... You know, we could be working with a client that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, brand new to Agile. Sure. So we need to learn, like, like focus on learning Agile. Or more often we have is um, we're new to Clojure. Yes. And we want to learn Clojure, and that's why we hired a Cognitech. You yeah. know, so, so if that becomes number one, teamwork and learning is mm -hmm. number one, and schedule is not. Yeah. That is going to be a completely different mode that the t project team is going to be working under. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a, an often underappreciated goal that a project could be counted as successful I entirely for what you learn from doing it, or for the additional skills that a team acquires in the process of doing it. Uh, even if you don't end up producing the thing that you thought you were going to produce at the end of it, there's still value along the way. A huge investment. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is um, when I used to do this exercise before my Cognitech days, mm -hmm. teamwork and learning almost never made it to the top three. Mm -hmm. And in the last six years, almost six years, I think I've been with Cognitech um, and working with so many different clients, I'm really pleasantly surprised that quite a few clients actually will bring teamwork and learning somewhere in the top three. Oh, cool. Now that's interesting. Yeah. Do, you, do you have an idea why the difference? I mean, where, what kind of places were you working before this? Um, 
you know, the other places, both internal, external projects, but I think the big difference between the other places and Cognitech is we have quite a few clients that come to us asking us to level up mm-hmm. their development team's closure right. knowledge or datomic knowledge or closure script or what have you. And and so from that perspective, when the, the our, our customers hire us for that expertise, yeah. it totally makes sense that they want to make sure that that teamwork and learning is captured at the top. Right. That makes um, sense. Or like they're somewhere around the top. Yeah. They're selecting yeah. for that uh, type of outcome. Right. Uh, when they it's, seek us it's out. It's not often. It's not often that it becomes number one. Yeah. But, sure. you know, somewhere, somewhere one, first, second or third. Yeah. Um, but so that's why it's so important to talk about it is what. So first, again, schedule, scope, quality, budget, customer satisfaction and teamwork and learning we have to define what they mean. Mm-hmm. And only after we define it, we can really, as a team, discuss what's the most important thing. Yeah. And the reason, oh, and one thing I always say, <laughs> to especially to management, is uh, you can't say everything. Right. Like every, every, management loves to say everything's important. Of course. Um, but you can't, and this is why. Yeah. Um, again, I go back to some examples, like, okay, if you say, that the schedule is most important, then that's, I respect that. We all respect that. Okay, sure. we have a date we have to meet and that is absolutely the most important thing. What that means is, you know, there's, you have to think about the trade-offs. Yeah. You have to probably compromise on the scope, mm-hmm. compromise on the quality. You might even have to compromise on budget by hiring more people, mm-hmm. you know, it might lead to customer satisfaction not being as good because we met the schedule but didn't meet the extra bonus stuff. Yeah. You yeah. know, and then because we're so schedule oriented, the team has to work extra hours or something like that and they're not happy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you have to think about the consequences where like if you choose schedule, you can't also say quality has to be number one. Yeah. For example. But if you say quality is number one and we want to make sure that that is the top thing that we focus on yeah then we all as a team we have to realize that if we have to spend an extra week to finish a feature to make it better quality yeah but it's going to push the schedule then so be it right right you know and it's within reason right sure. there's always that common sense that has to play um but having these conditions clarified for the team Mm -hmm. and you revisit once in a while to say okay we said you know the order was quality scope schedule yeah are we honoring those that doesn't mean other other conditions aren't important we we want to do best we can on everything yeah um but you know those marching orders it's kind of like a marching order to say okay quality is number one scope number two then it's schedules number three it helps down the road when you have like a difficult bug or a difficult feature mm. and everybody's struggling and and but then you can go back and say wait our value our condition number one condition is quality yeah and that helps you decide which road to take yeah you know you know like no tech debt or if schedule is important get ready for tech debt mm-hmm. you know that mm-hmm. so so yeah, so this conversation, the conversations that come out of the win condition exercise, yeah, um, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, and definitely. You really do have to 
leave the exercise with everybody understanding you are, for example, you are willing to sacrifice schedule for scope. Yeah. Correct? Like, <laughs> yeah, you really have to just to get everybody to understand that point. And that can be tough in itself, just getting uh, people to admit that, yes, we may uh, sacrifice one thing to get another. Right. Yeah. And there's always, there's always going to be some level of sacrifice. It might be small, it might be big, but that's the reality of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, f faster, better, more, less cost. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. Great, right. But... Faster, cheaper, better pick one yeah. or two, one of those things. <laughs> Like, no, I want everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, it's not going to happen. Um, People so, didn't yeah, play so, enough, uh, you know, those role-playing games growing up where you had to balance your character with them. You, you, you know, you can make them stronger, but then they have less charisma or something like that. Yeah. That would be, that would be good practice, actually, for, uh, for this kind of exercise. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be. And it's like, what kind of personality does your project have? Yes. Thing? But yeah, so, you know, but once we have an agreement, and again, sometimes some project teams, it's pretty straightforward. Others really struggle, mm -hmm, really struggle. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, when when that struggle happens, I'm so glad it did happen the first day. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about it. And, and again, it, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's not just about doing the exercise, but the amount of knowledge you gain from the conversations that come out of it. Right, right. Um, and that's really key. And especially as, you know, in our position as Cognitechs, mm -hmm. those conversations are very valuable. Oh, yeah. To see, to see our client members having that conversation. You know, we learn how each individual think. We learn what motivates each person. We mm -hmm. also learn their personality. Yeah. Um, it's it's really helpful for us to go through that yeah. exercise as well. And uh, it, it sounds like you've you've kind of already said this, but you can get a good uh, feel for how the project is going to go, or maybe where the potential problem areas are going to be in the future, right. just from that that first meeting. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, and again, you know problem areas and motivation mm -hmm. you know of course a QA person is going to focus more on quality like right. there's no surprise there yeah uh, you know but you know you just kind of see that that interaction and 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 again you know every so often you want to put those top three that you chose in front of the team and say are you following this are you honoring yeah. it yeah and if not let's talk about why Mm -hmm. And do we need to change it? Mm, yeah. Just because we set at the very beginning doesn't mean we can't change. Like that would totally go against Agile, right? Right, yeah. Um, so like if there's valid reasons, if there are valid reasons to change it, by all means, let's have that conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, it that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. But it could. Mm -hmm. um, it shouldn't certainly happen every iteration. That's crazy. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, so those three exercises, by the time we're done with it, people Everyone's exhausted. need a, yeah, people <laughs> are tired, 
you know, if if you're lucky, you get all that done before lunch. Yeah. If not, you take a break and get lunch and then go back to the, you know, whatever exercise that's left. But yeah, um, but yeah you will be, your brain will be tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, a lot of good conversations, again, come out of it. We, as a team, understand, okay, here are the goals, the completion criteria. These are the values. Mm-hmm. When you have those things defined, it's a lot easier to move on to the next conversation I zero, which is usually typically more about the requirements and yeah. and expectations and then eventually it goes into design and architecture conversations. Right. But no matter what the topic is, the the goals we just stated from the project framework mm-hmm. that will apply to any yeah. topic. Yeah. So yeah, I personally I enjoy doing this exercise and I've done it very many times and yeah no matter how many times I do it it's still fun for me. <laughs> and they're all different I, I, I all assume. different yeah. yeah you never know every single one of them yeah just like every project's different this is also different and and again you know it's a I also think it's a nice icebreaker oh yeah kind of exercises where it, going back to my point of it can't be just certain people talking in the room. Yeah. It has to be everybody and every personality is in the, in the room. So, you know, we try to create an atmosphere where, you know, somebody that's an extrovert that loves to talk mm-hmm. can feel comfortable. Somebody that's an introvert that's is more of a listener mm-hmm. can feel comfortable, you know, speaking up. Yeah. Like we want to make sure that everybody can participate. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, this all is uh, great. I mean, this is a great introduction to uh, starting a project. Um, uh, I think that was uh, all of the questions I had. Were there any more uh, topics you wanted to uh, talk about or anything more from this uh, article or others that you'd like to uh, tell us about? No, I think... um that was a lot. I, yeah. I'm like looking at the time I'm like, wow, we we talked about an hour yeah, already. Yeah. That went fast. Yep. But um, I, I think I think this is a good stopping point, these three exercises. Um, again, you know, any of our clients and future clients that work with us will be introduced to this process. Yeah. Um, usually. And and I also encourage other folks to try it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, not just at day one. I mean, if the project's already midstream, yeah, it's still good to take that moment mm-hmm. to to kind of check yourselves. Right. <laughs> and and I think that these exercises could be a fun way to do it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and you mentioned uh, the uh, author and the book. We'll link to those uh, in the show notes. Uh, do they include? Is that do these are these exercises described in uh, in that book? Yeah, it's a little bit different. Okay. Because um, you know there's have been some tweaking. Okay. That happened, um, but but there's certainly it's obvious yeah. where where these exercises came from. Cool. Well, I think then we have just one last question, uh, another one that we ask all of our guests. 
And that is, what advice would you offer us? I feel like we just spent the whole hour doing that. But um, <laughs> one last chance, uh, what advice uh, would you offer uh, to people listening? Um, it's advice to people listening, but it's also advice to myself that I have to remind myself sometimes. Okay. Um, which is um, learn how to say no mm-hmm. or I don't know without having to feel like you need to explain why. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. And I do catch myself saying no. That's not a problem for me usually now <laughs> at my age. Yeah. Um, when I was 20 years ago, it would be like, uh, you uh, know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you, you grow, sure. grow confidence <laughs> in these things. <laughs> yeah. But then I do still catch myself saying no because blah, 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 blah. Like, uh-huh. Why am I explaining myself? I mean, yeah. sometimes obviously you do, but I don't have to do that every single time mm-hmm. or confidently say, I don't know. And that's fine. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And you don't have to explain yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is uh, I, I got it from somewhere. And and I it's I, I keep little lists of like quotes Things that to inspire remember. me. Yeah. And this was a recent one. And. And I thought, wow, that's so true. Like, I'm always saying no, followed by why. I just said no, whether it's true or not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, I think that is uh, good advice for everyone. And uh, I think that will do it for this episode. So thank you, Naoko, for being on the show today. Thank you, Stuart. And thank you, everyone out there, for listening. This has been the CogniCast. You have been listening to the CogniCast. The CogniCast is brought to you by Cognitech. We are a team of thoughtful, experienced technologists. Our passion is helping organizations from the smallest startups to the Fortune 50 deploy technology effectively and humanely. We are here to help you build better futures. You can find us on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the CogniCast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, Cognitech.com slash CogniCast. You can contact the show by tweeting at CogniCast or emailing us at podcast at Cognitech.com. Our guest this week was Cognitech's own Naoko Higashide. Our host this week was Stuart Sierra. Stuart is at Stuart Sierra on Twitter. That's at S-T-U-A-R-T-S-I-E-R-R-A. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production is by Russ Olson, Joe Smith, and Jarrett Binford. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm Russ Olson. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 